So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 19 through 34. Second part, simplify two first things this morning. Last week we looked at one thing. This morning, two first things, which is basically seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 6. Did I say 6? Yeah. And I'm going to read just six verses beginning in verse 19 through 21, and then 31 through 33. So Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now look at verse 31. Again, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you it's been preserved for us. Thank you, we can read it. We have it in abundance. And Lord, it's not just hearing it, but Lord, it's doing. It's not just knowledge, but Lord, not, only, not us knowing the Bible so much as the Bible knowing us. And so search our hearts today, Lord, as your word is that which begins to divide between thoughts and intents and motives. And we just need, Lord, the searchlight of your truth in our own lives. So as we look at these, these things this morning, I pray you'd anoint the things, bless the things I prepared. Break them fresh, Lord. Feed us your word that we might grow. Our faith might grow. We, we, Lord, we do not want to stay in any arrested state of spiritual development. So we understand the importance of your Holy Spirit. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and minister to us. We know the importance of your word, Lord. So come, Holy Spirit, and speak to our hearts and give us ears to hear, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, on your chair there, uh, we've been doing this this whole month as we look at this Simplify series, and we're going to take prayer requests. So when we're done, uh, after I'm done with our message, if you have any prayer requests you'd like to add to the bowl, and if you did one last week, that's great. Put another one in. We'll be praying over these prayer requests every Saturday morning. We'll be going through them in our hour of prayer. So I hope that you'll get some more, we'll see some more added to that. Now also, I, I asked last week that uh, you might go online and do the Bible survey. So about 90 of you have done that. Really appreciate that. If you would go online, it's really simple. It'll take you less than a minute. Ask you about your Bible, and it's all anonymous. And we want to sort of get all those together and just say, here. and I actually, in looking at them, I was very encouraged as far as uh, the answers, the, what, what we're seeing here. And it was what I was, what I was hoping, because I think that we are very focused and understand the importance of reading our Bibles and why. And uh, so if you would do that, I would really appreciate that. And we'll take all that stuff when we get to our fourth study, uh, four things, four church things. We're going to look at Acts 2.42 as our final one. We'll, we'll also fill you in on just kind of where we're at as a church in reading our Bibles and the things that are hindering that. So would you say amen to that? Say, so two first things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Jesus begins in, in verse 19 by saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. This could be translated, stop laying up treasures on earth 
for yourselves. In other words, you need to stop doing that. So take inventory of your earthly treasures, your money, your IRAs, your CDs, your bank accounts, your stocks and bonds, your house, your car, your clothing, and yes, guys, your tools. <laughs> take inventory and then ask yourself, what good will these things do that will outlive time? My allotted time and all of time. In other words, what, are of etern- what can I do with these, with these things that has eternal value? We cannot take one of them with us to heaven. We have to leave every last thing. As you know, a rich man died. Someone said, how much did he how much did he leave? And someone said, all of it. Now, it's a really good thing to come back to that on a regular basis, to realize we can't take anything with us. We can take someone and someone's with us, and that we certainly want to do. That's the investment, which we'll talk about. So even if we were to live for a long time, everything will not last. Have you found that out? It starts to rust It starts to, it might be stolen. It starts to decay. That's just the way it is. So there are lasting treasures and there are fading treasures. There are eternal treasures and there are temporal treasures. Here's one philosophy that really says it as far as the world. Get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can. <laughs> get all you can, can all that you get, and then sit on the can. But Jesus says, Don't, do not do that, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Note that. It doesn't say where your heart is, there will your treasure be. It's where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. Now, I want to say this. Jesus is the one who said this, so I think it has a lot of weight. What do you think? Where are those treasures? Whatever, whatever, or what are those treasures? Whatever is of good and eternal significance that comes out of what is done on earth. Let me say that again. What are those treasures? Whatever is of good and eternal significance that comes out of what is done on earth. And much of what we do are with our our things, our stuff. So it might be doing good deeds. Even a simple thing Jesus said, like giving someone a, a glass of cold water. It might be in times that I'm going through suffering for the sake of the Lord and as a Christian. It might be a time when I'm having to forgive someone and release them and drop the charges. It most certainly, in context, includes giving of our money, giving of our material possessions, and especially, as we'll see, to the poor and to the needy. Jesus said this in looking at the rich young man and said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I've done this, that, and the other thing. Jesus told him, and then he said, looking at him, loved him, and said, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, 
and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. And then this sad epitaph, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You see, when we're called upon to sacrifice and do these things, it really begins to examine what's really going on in our hearts. It manifests that. So this is, uh, John Corson said this, Pastor John Corson. And by the way, you can be praying for him. He lost his daughter to a traffic accident many years ago. He then lost his wife to a car accident. And now his son is, is on his deathbed. And so pray for Pastor John. He said this, quote, giving is not God's way of raising cash. Giving is God's way of raising kids. Every time I give, I am giving away, listen, this is fantastic. I'm giving away a part of my stinginess and selfishness. God doesn't need my money. God does use my money to test and try my heart, unquote. I love that. You're giving away stinginess. You're giving away selfishness. What a great picture. Is that not? And is it not true? When you go to let go of 10 bucks, <laughs> you go, I mean, it's just, the, it's just, but as you do it, it's more blessed to what? Give than to receive. Now, that's, tr- that's, that's a truth that we only find out when we give. Learning our stinginess is only overcome by giving away our stinginess, our selfishness, our greediness. You see, the Lord wants my heart, not my money. And he knows that wherever my treasure is, that's where my heart will be. So as my treasures are more in what God values and what God says, then my heart moves to that place where I begin treasuring those things more than I treasure the things. My attitude toward worldly riches is a barometer of godly righteousness. My attitude toward worldly riches is a barometer of godly righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Luke, Jesus tells the story of a certain rich man. Now, I'm going to, there's a couple passages I would really like us to read together. If you would go to Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Luke 12, 13. I'll start reading it. I'll mention the verse I'm on as you are looking. He said, then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, Luke 12. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Jesus, take heed, this is verse 15 of Luke 12, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Powerful verse. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many good, many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then 
Whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Then his disciples said, verse 22, Therefore, then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will put on. But seek first, verse 31, the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Now notice what Luke adds here. Do not fear little flock, for it is your, good, it is your father's good pleasure to what? Give you the kingdom. You're not earning it. We're not buying it. That's a given as a believer. So sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are you rich toward God? Yeah, that's the question there. Are we living in such a way that we're just storing up for the next year and the next two years and the next five years. You see, that's foolish because we have no idea how long we really have. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. It'll depress you, but it'll give you a reality check. You work for years and years, and then who gets to, who gets to benefit from it? Not you, because you died. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. You know, I work my, my tail off, and then there's nothing I can enjoy from it. But somebody else does. Paul wrote to Timothy again. 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, which I hope that you would follow me there. 1 Timothy 6 and beginning verse 6. I'll start, you get it, I'll keep mentioning verses. Important, another important passage. Paul told Timothy, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Would you say amen? Brought nothing into the world, certain we can carry nothing out. Job said, naked can me into the world, and naked shall I return. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. He doesn't even mention the house, the car. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, that's the motive, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the is. A root of all kinds. Of, there are other roots, but this is one of them. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which money? Some have strayed from the faith, the believer, in their what? Greediness. And have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now what does Paul tell to say to Timothy? But you, O man of God, flee these things. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you're also called. And have confessed the good confession in the presence of many. Know this. It's going to be a battle. There's going to be a having to flee from those things in our hearts. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. And those kinds of things. Following after that confession that we have. And doing those things. It will be a battle. A fight in our faith. The things most highly treasured occupy the heart. They control the whole of my direction and my values. If I have financial investments, I will follow the stock market carefully. If I hold real estate, I will follow the housing market with real interest. If it's money, then greed can begin to take over my heart. 
If it's pleasure, then self-indulgence begins to take over the matters of my heart. In the same way, if my heart is set on eternal values, then my heart will be mastered, listen, by eternity. If I have treasure invested in heaven, my heart will be in heaven. So Jesus said, verse 22, that the eye is the light gate. It's by which we see. Notice verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, for from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. It's not a very pretty list. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye. Blasphemy, pride, foolish. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So the question is, what about your eye? The eye speaks of the outlook of the heart. How do you see these things? Proverbs 28, 22, a man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. Riches are not really riches when it comes to eternal things, unless invested accurately and righteously as God's called us to do that. So if what is good in God's eye is bad in my eye, I have a bad eye. I'm seeing things in the wrong way. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 18. If you want to turn there, verse 7. How my eye sees generosity. How do you see that? In Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning verse 7. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But... You shall open your hand wide to him and willfully lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Then God said, beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, the seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. So when we're giving, the generosity, do you know what God's economy is like? As we're giving, as we're generous, God blesses that. Amen. How do you see that? He continues, verse 11, Deuteronomy 15. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. See, opening up our hands is putting treasures in heaven and opening up our heart to see generosity as God sees it and to be blessed by him because of it. Amen. I say amen to that. Again, Paul, in the same chapter in Timothy, chapter 6, verse 17, he said, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in a living God 
who gives us richly all things to enjoy, let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. That's Paul's admonition to Timothy in pastoring God's people. How my eye sees God's generosity. There's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. So early morning, the owner hires people to go work in his vineyard. Then at 9 o'clock, he hires some more. Then at noon, he hires some more. Then at 3 o'clock, more come. And then at 5 p.m., the 11th hour, more are hired. Now, when he hired the first ones in the early morning, he said, one denarius, I'll pay you. And they all agreed to that wage. Second one, same thing. So we read this in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. So an evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last, came at 5 p.m., to the first. Now, there was a strat- it was, this was strategic. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour... They each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. Now, how would you feel? I know how you'd feel because I know how I'd feel. Hold on a second. I've been laboring for 10 hours. These guys came at the 11th hour. They came, when, you know, after lunch, after the break, and they just come in for an hour and they're getting what I got? Hold on a second, you owe me. See, what's your eye as far as God's value? How God sees it. And now that what he's doing in my heart as he is going through the calculations in his heart. Let me say this. Be careful, we don't want to be charging God wrongly. So it says this. He answered one of them and said, And I know they're all listening. All the other ones are listening. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for one denarius? Now, I want to stop for just a moment. You've agreed in your job to work for such and such a wage. Now, I've heard countless stories of people griping. My response, not that I haven't griped myself, but my response, well, then go talk to someone about that Or go get another job. Because you agreed. And we should be the most hardest workers in our jobs. Because we're not working for our boss. We're working for Christ. For God. And the testimony of a hard worker is of such greater value than whatever you might put on it monetarily. And I believe, and I've seen it over and over again, if you work hard, if you're faithful, if you're not blaming this, that, and the other, but you're just there to do your job and do it as well, that you will probably never lack promotion. Promotion comes from the Lord. A job, God will see to that. So I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for one denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. In other words, don't come back. (laughs) I'm not only saying that. I wish to give to this last man the same as I gave to you. That's what God wanted, that's what the landowner wanted to do. Very generous on his part. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? 
Now, here's the question to end it. Or is your eye evil because I am good? See, it's a matter of the eye. How do I see God's generosity? How do I see God's means of being generous to people? Now, if what is bad in God's eye is good in my eye, then I have a bad eye. Now, the one that sticks out to me here is in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, the lukewarm church. And the angel of the church, verse 14, Revelation 3, and the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were not, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, listen, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Now, how is that going to be corrected? Notice, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You see, this is what living for the world and the rich will do. It begins to make us lukewarm in the things of God. Cold, it's not refreshing anymore. Hot, it's not, you know how it is. You don't want a lukewarm cup of steamed milk with three pumps of vanilla. (laughs) As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. How does your eye see riches and wealth You see, you cannot serve God and mammon. Notice verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise it. You cannot serve God and man. What is mammon? It's wealth or property or, let's put a simple word on it, materialism. His righteousness is not compatible with greedy pursuits of worldly gain. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness is not compatible with greedy pursuits of worldly gain. So let's, here's a little chart. This is what it looks like. Love, hate, loyal, despise. If I love God, I'll hate mammon. If I'm loyal to God, I'll despise mammon. But if I love mammon, I'll hate God. If I'm loyal to mammon, I'll despise God. So in other words, if I love materialism, what Jesus is saying is, really, I'm saying I hate God. If I'm loyal to materialism, then I'm going to despise God. Because the two are opposite to each other. So either I'm a slave of God or a slave of materialism, mammon. Either I love God or I love materialism. Either I'm loyal to God or I'm loyal to materialism. I wish it wasn't quite that abrupt, but it is. Jesus said, no one can serve two two masters. You cannot serve God and materialism. And I don't have to tell you this. You know it and I know it. The culture we live in does not make that battle 
very easy to win. It's constant. So Jesus commended the wise on the use of mammon. Again, another passage, Luke chapter 16, verse 1. It's the parable of the unjust steward. Luke 16, beginning in verse 1. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. Verse 2. So he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, not to his boss, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of my stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? Verse 6, Luke 16. How much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Verse 7. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? Do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in this generation than the sons of light. Notice, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting, an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit you to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What is he saying? He's commending him not for what he did. He was a crook. But for, what, for the wisdom in what he did. And this is what he did. He used his present position to set himself up for what he knew was coming. That's what he's commending. And we must have the same understanding that we would take our present position and set ourselves up for what we know is coming. Not laying up for ourselves treasures on earth, but in heaven. And taking the things that have been for our eternal future. So two first things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now Jesus goes on in this final, in the second half. He says, don't worry about your life. Don't lay up treasure, but don't worry about your life. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And we have to say, absolutely. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry about your life. It's the argument from the lesser to the greater. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him? If, we, if he's already done that, the other stuff is like the, it's like the ring case. He's given us the gold ring. And, that, and the other, all the rest, that's all it is. And if he so does close the grass and feeds the birds, he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. So don't worry about your life. That word worry means to strangle. See, these things can get themselves around you and around me and choke the very life out of us. Jesus said, don't let these things strangle you. In Matthew chapter 13, he said, now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches Choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. It strangles, it chokes. Look at the birds. They do not store up great amounts of food, but they just work continually. They're fed as they diligently work to maintain their lives. That's the birds. They cannot sow, reap, or gather into barns, but we can. And we are to be at work, and we are to sow and reap and gather with the same abandon as a little bird, but all the while trusting God to take care of us. To take care of us. In 2 Thessalonians, first chapter 3, verse 10, even when we were with you, we command you this, if anyone does not work, neither shall he eat. We are to be working. For we have... For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, and are just busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness. In other words, they're just going and doing their job. And eat their own bread. So it's not saying we don't work at all. The little birds of the field have God as their caretaker. How much more do we not have the same? Amen. So far as it is known, no bird ever tried to outbuild its neighbor. I got a better nest than you. <laughs> no fox ever fretted because it had only one hole in the earth in which to live. No squirrel ever died in anxiety lest he should not lay up enough nuts for two winters. And no dog ever lost sleep over the fact that he did not have enough bones buried in the ground for his declining years. Look at the birds. Look at the grass. Let us not put the wrong emphasis on the wrong things. Do not worry about your life. God will take care of you. Which of you can add one cubit to his stature? Now, that could be talking about uh, a physical life. It also could be talking about physical length. I can tell you, I know that worrying about how tall I am is nothing I can do anything about. It is what it is. 
And we may spend a lot of time worrying, but it's not going to do any good because you have no control over many things about who you are and about your life. That's the fact. Do not worry about your life. Consider the lilies. They grow daily through a natural process. I am told that the wildflowers in Israel are breathtaking. And it lasts about a month. God does that. And then they just fade. God allows that also. And James says, our lives are but a vapor. A vapor. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For all, after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Can I hear an amen from my brothers and sisters? It's interesting, this little phrase, your heavenly Father is found four times in the New Testament. Here are the, th the three of those are in Matthew chapter 6. Your heavenly Father forgives you. Your heavenly Father feeds you. And your heavenly Father knows everything that you need. The other place is your heavenly Father gives to you the Holy Spirit. I say, what a lineup. He forgives me. He feeds me. He knows all my needs. And he gives to me the Holy Spirit. I say, okay, I can live a pretty good life with that, knowing that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added to you. Such are the goals worthy of one who has a wholehearted allegiance to Jesus Christ, which I know we do. For any other concern to dominate my mind is to succumb to pagan fretting, Gentile fretting. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough to take care of itself. As citizens of the kingdom, we are both stop, we are to both, we are to both stop being anxious and refrain from becoming anxious about life and its needs. Rather, we are to seek God's kingdom and righteousness and trust him for everything needed for, for this life. Jesus has come that we might be carefree when it comes to worrying about my life. God will take care of me. Amen. Wow. It's fun just to say it. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. You see, we're moved, many, not physically, but we're moved when we're worrying and anxious, he said, hey, you trust me, you won't ever be moved. Peter, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Most of, most of our worry is concerned about things of tomorrow. Someone said, today is the tomorrow that, wor that you worried about yesterday. It's so true. Here's a good memory test. What were you worrying about at this time last year? Blessed is a man who's too busy to worry in the daytime and too sleepy to worry at night. A woman lived to be 90 years old. When asked the secret of her longevity, she said, when I work, I work hard. And when I sit, I sit easy. And when I worry, I go to sleep. Albert Einstein said, I never think of the future. It comes soon enough. And I have found that, and so have you. Yesterday, we had our men's conference. It was awesome. 
couple hundred men gathered. It's fantastic. And I, I, Jeff Steiner was there, Pastor Jeff, some Anchorage. He played a couple songs, and I'm watching him and thinking, you know, how quickly 15 years have vanished. And then I'm there in this room with these other pastors, many of them I've known for 40 and 50 years. I say, wow, how quickly time passes. That, but I'm also enjoying the blessings of the Lord over those times. I met a couple of guys that I didn't even recognize them anymore, but they knew me, and they're saying, what's your name? And he told me his name. I said, oh, yeah, I know, you got, you got a weird name. So, yeah, I remember that name. But time goes so quickly, so quickly. So just don't worry about tomorrow. You see, what Jesus is saying is, you got enough for today, and isn't that a nice release? Sufficient unto they are the troubles thereof. The beginning of anxiety is the ending of faith. The beginning of faith is the ending of anxiety and worry. You see, there are only two kinds of seeking, the self-centered and the God-centered. Therefore, there are two kinds of ambitions, selfish ambition or God ambition. And there's no third alternative. It's one of the two. So as citizens of the kingdom, we're not only to refrain from the pursuit of temporal things as our primary goal, but we are to replace such pursuits with the goal of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. This has been such a reminder, a blessing, a strengthening of my soul, my spirit. And I trust, Lord, as your word's going out today, we're, we're taking in again these radical and yet simple truths that change our lives. Just as your head's bowed, would you be praying, my fellow believers? You see, there's one thing needed before any of these things begin to take hold, and that is salvation. That you've asked Jesus to come in and be your Lord and Savior. That the words that he's saying are now to you personally. So just as we're closing today, and some of you will be filling out prayer requests, but if you're here and you don't know Christ yet, you've never come to know him, I'm going to ask you to do three simple things in responding to the gospel. Number one, raise up your hand and say, yes, I want to get right with God. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want to know that it's all in the past. I want to know where I'm heading. I'm going to ask you to raise up your hand and ask you to stand up. And in so doing, you're, you're doing what you know is needed in confessing Jesus before men. And then just to walk up to one of the tables where there's some, our dear brothers and sisters that will pray for you before the Lord for your salvation. So just as we're praying for one moment, coming to a close, if that's you, would you respond to God today? Say yes to Jesus. Say yeah. And raise up your hands. I say, I, I want to get my life squared away with God today. Just raise it up. And please keep that up. I don't want to miss that. We don't want to miss that. It's such a significant, life-changing thing that's happening. We're praying. Would you sing this last song? You have prayer requests there. And so if you have one you'd like to fill out for 2019, would you be doing that as we're, we're going to just sit and sing this last song? And then uh, if you, Sophia, at some point could just welcome up, just, just come up while, was, while you're singing this song. I know that's doing two things. I know I didn't prep you for this, but at some point during, in fact, I know what we'll do. Okay, I'm just figuring it out as I'm standing here. 
fill out the prayer request and then just while we're singing just come up and drop it in the bowl here and we're going to be doing that this Sunday and the next two as we look at simplifying our lives so maybe that's one thing you want to put on that today let's go for it hi I'm Kevin Day senior pastor of Calvary Chapel South I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it if you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch head over to ccskent.org And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.